Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Dr. Ted Knight from Knight Dental Care. Dr. Knight, it's so nice to get you on the podcast. Um, from graduating school from Michigan in 1995, I, I know you bought your uncle's practice, I think, there in Midland. I would love to hear your origin story of from 1995 to today. Obviously, I know you personally from a lot of the conferences we go to and all the CE you do, but I'd love to hear your origin story. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, we, I mean, we know each other through uh, through you guys doing our marketing, and and that is it was really an epiphany when I started working with you and with Andre to um, measure metrics and what people were looking at and what was important. And you know, both you and and Andre really worked with me on uh, trying to get out of my shell. I, I tend to try to to kind of go under the radar and, and you're like, that's not, you know, people want to know who they're coming to see and, and they want to have that before they walk into the office. And, and my whole thing had always been, you know, if you're coming here, I think you're going to like the experience, but it's, it's how you're being, you know, there's a lot of dentists out there and how are we making those choices to come to this practice as to any other practice? I am, Three generations of doing dentistry. I uh, I had a great uncle that was a dentist. My uncle was a dentist. My dad was a dentist. My brother's a dentist. I'm a dentist. I have a nephew who's in dental school. So uh, Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas, there was always a lot of talk about <laughs> teeth. And more than just the talk about teeth, about how we run our businesses uh, as dentists. And um, I think that's one of the things that gets lost when we go to dental school is that ultimately when you get out, you're a businessman and your business is teeth and you need to be profitable. You need to have quality and you need to have care. You need to, you need to be empathetic towards your patients. I think if you can make all of those things work, I think you're going to love the career of dentistry and I think you'll do well with it. Now, have you seen dentistry evolve over the last few years? I mean, we, well, on the pre-show, we were talking about just the rise of DSOs and, and so much stress is being put on young dentists. From your perspective, what have you seen over the last few years? We've tried to make dentistry a commodity. And dentistry is probably one of the most intimate experiences that a patient's going to have. You are oftentimes closer to a patient, you know, within... Uh, their comfort zone of how close you are to their face than even some of their spouses. You know, I mean, you, you just, and, and you get to talk about maybe some of the, the concerns that uh, will embarrass a patient, maybe a reason why they don't smile. And uh, you can have those conversations that they won't have with other people, you know, but they're, they're willing to open up to you as long as you show them that you're not there to judge them and you're not there to criticize them on what they've done in the past. You know, we talk often about, you know, I'm here to tell you what the condition of your, of your mouth is now and how we can help you going forward. I'm not here to tell you all the things that you did wrong in the past because we can't change those. No, I, you know, this from our, the speaking training we were in, uh, that happened to me. I mean, I grew up in rural Oklahoma and, Raised on Copenhagen wrestling and Coca-Cola. I mean, I, my grandparents had a fridge that was just for Coke, right? Uh, it was so wild to think about how, you know, today versus versus back then. But 
yeah, I mean, I can remember going to the dentist and he made, I think he was trying to be funny uh, for the record. I don't think he was a bad man. I don't think he was being harsh, but he made a crack uh, that I've seen better teeth on 60 year olds. And it was just, it hit me so hard because I already carried the debt of shame into that appointment. And he didn't know that it took so much courage for me to show up that, that I was very nervous about going that, you know, I, I, I didn't fear the, I feared the judgment. I, I wasn't in fear of the pain. It was, it was the judgment of it. And yeah, that's, and he hit uh, it. But, he, he hit it right away. Right. And, and just, just right. Just hit it. And, and, yeah. and, and then, you just shrink, you just shrink yep. at that point. And then the, the hygienist came in to clean my teeth. Fine. And she took an inner oral camera and just showed me every tooth. And while I know that's what we're trained to do and, and, she was she was not mean about it, but like that is so far from what I needed in that minute. Uh, it was just uh, it set me back another decade. I didn't. Yeah, I, it took you didn't. Do, so you saw you saw someone that mm -hmm. appointment and then didn't go back for another year didn't go or back another for, no. another ten years. Another ten years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's a huge concern for me. I mean, you know, I, I'll tell patients. I said, look, this person hasn't been in for ten years. And if you overwhelm them right now, they may never come back again. And and so yours your story kind of reinforces that. And it's uh it's one of the reasons I say that when they come in is I'm like, you know, I'm not here to talk about the past and, and maybe mistakes you may have done. I'm here to talk about what do things look like now and how do we help you going forward. And mm -hmm. even though you don't want to see those pictures as a patient sometimes, I think if you approach it in that manner you're opening it up to a conversation. And then I tell them, if you have an objection, if you have a concern that you want to point out to me, you can stop me at any time as we're going through and looking at this. There's no one right way to do this. There's just the way that's going to be right for Eric in, you know, mm -hmm. 2023. You know, yeah. uh, some people, some people may have lost a job. Maybe they're on the verge of uh, losing their home, but they've got some dental pain and concerns. Maybe in previous years, they would have tried to fix the tooth, do a root canal, do a crown, but it, that's not what their life is like right now. And, and what they really want to do is be out of pain and not have infection there. And sometimes it's a, it's a lesser choice that we make, but it's the right choice for them at the time. But it's, it's kind of listening to the individual and, and recognizing where they're at right now. As you talked, it, that patient experience that has to be what has allowed you to move you know exclusively fee for service so gracefully right i mean would you say that patient experience is at the top of the 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 list of things to as you get out of insurance and the, the craziness it's, of it it's number one it's number one if you uh you know you're going to have patients that leave because you no longer participate with their insurance. You're going to have patients that leave, experience something else, and they come back, you know. Um, and then you have patients who are like, look, I don't really care what insurance you take. I'm, I'm not leaving this office and I want to stay here. But those conversations, if you're going to, if you're going to choose to separate from uh, participating in insurance programs, those conversations need to be had with the patient well before you ever choose to to separate from the insurance company. I, I met someone the other day 
and he was just so frustrated with the insurance companies that he submitted his letter to separate. And it takes about two months for something like that, sometimes three months. And he hadn't had one conversation with his patients about leaving. Mm. And I was just in, you know, but, you know, it's, you know, it's water over the dam at this point. But I said, whatever you do, don't send a letter out. Because if you send a letter out, you're just telling your patients to leave. It's sitting down and having that knee-to-knee conversation of why you're no longer going to work with that insurance company and how they are affecting you as the dentist. My ability to provide care to you as far as the quality of staffing that I have, the quality of materials, my ability to add innovative technologies to our office are all affected. You know, the economy was growing. It grew under the the previous presidential administration. And, you know, a lot of dentists didn't get to participate in that because their fees have been set at a level by the insurance company a decade and a half ago, and they haven't raised them. So, you know, all your costs go up, all your staffing costs, all your material costs, I mean, electricity, your water bill, everything's going up. But how much they're allowing me to get from the patient has stayed the same. They right. have to be getting more. I know they have to be getting more, but we're not getting more. And well, uh, and, I, and, and, I, and I'm trying to spread that word to all these younger dentists. I'm like, look, if you go and participate with your insurance company right now, you basically are putting bankruptcy on, on your loan. I mean, you're, it's not sustainable. When there's an economic struggle, I mean, I think there's a very good likelihood that patients leave me and go to someone else because they're, quote unquote, in network. But, you know, when I was doing this and we were we were changing from being with a participating, you know, behemoth that was basically dictating what our fees were. Mm-hmm. And you had to accept all the patients that that they had, you know, if they came to you. You couldn't tell them no. It just was a treadmill. I just didn't enjoy dentistry anymore because mm-hmm. no matter how hard I worked, I, I felt like I couldn't get ahead. We do a terrible job of communicating that um, to the public. We might talk amongst ourselves or or in uh, our societies, uh, dental societies, but we don't share it with the public. And if they don't know these things, they think everything's going along just fine, and uh, and it's not. There are a number of dentists who are really struggling. You know, mental health and dentistry has always been a big deal. I think it was the fourth office we took over marketing for. And I mean, like originally in the company, we took over because a young lady committed suicide. And, you know, you dig in and, and there's already a burden of most dentists get into it for the 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 science or the biology and the they love the craft but they don't love being a business person and unfortunately as soon as you buy your practice you probably become CEO first and dentist second um, and and that that's incredibly complicated if your identity has been around I'm a dentist and on the pre show we were talking about you know our age guys came out women came out with you know hundred thousand two hundred thousand in debt they're coming out with six seven eight hundred thousand now and Practices have gone from 80%, you know, of collection trading to, you know, north of 100. And it's had to play hell on mental health and in in the field. 
One of the reasons I took the initiative to leave participation in uh, in an insurance company's program is to show these younger kids the path forward on how to be profitable. And it's not about making, you know, oodles of money off your patient base. That's that's not what this is about. It's about having a business structure that can be profitable because right now they can make enough money to pay everyone but the dentist. And, you know, all of a sudden, like you're saying, you've got $600,000 in debt. You don't own a practice yet. So now you're buying a practice and then at, you've got a wife and kids at, than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've got a wife and kids at home who, and your wife's like, Hey, when are we going to start kind of living that middle-class upper middle-class dream? You know, you're a doctor. Why is this not happening? Mm-hmm. And the dentist himself is sitting there saying, why is this not happening? And I think a lot of it has to do with the insurance rates because you're right. Our plans that we offer our employees, the same plan five years ago was $580 a month was how much our company, you know, we, we cover the, the employee portion of the health plan. The same plan, nothing changed. It cost me $880. it has gone up, you know, uh, 300 bucks yeah. in yeah. five years. That's, that's wild. But yet... Dentistry said it, it, you know, no, this is how much a cleaning is going to be this much. And of course, prices have risen and all those well, factors it, have come together. Go ahead. We also noticed it um, right after we came back from COVID is that all of a sudden to hire someone new was much more costly on an hourly basis mm-hmm. than the pay, the staff that you already had. But you can't bring somebody new in and raise their salaries and not raise the salaries of the people that are here. And they're the ones that have been the most loyal and been there the longest. Right. So, so you had this, this increase just universally in dentistry that just went up to a whole nother level for, for every staff member, front desk to hygienist to assistants. And, uh, and that's, that's again, you know, another squeeze on what the dentist can take home, which allows him to pay down his 600000 in in student loan debt, pay down his practice debt. You know, maybe he's fortunate enough to own a home. He's got to pay that down. You know, maybe you've got a kid or two at home. You, you know, you've got to take care of them. Maybe he has a wife that, that uh, has a, a job outside the office. But if, if she doesn't, then, you know, you still have um, that uh, less income to try to make things work. I think we're getting to this critical point, Eric, in dentistry, where artificially participating with insurance companies has not been good for the last two generations of dentists coming out of school. So since 2014, roughly around that year, is when the insurance companies stopped treating every dentist as an equal and started reimbursing older dentists who had been in the programs at a higher rate and younger dentists coming out at a lower rate. But now you're starting to have more of these younger dentists who are being compensated at these lower rates that are truly at a percentage that you could not own and operate a practice successfully. And I think there's going to be a revolution, and I want to be part of that, that says, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to do this. So 
you know, with the three generations of dentistry that I've been able to observe, my, my family's been in the Midland community for almost 100 years. My great uncle got out of school, bought a practice from a dentist, and, you know, he did, a, he did treatment, told the patient what it cost, the patient paid him. Somewhere within that range of the, the mid-60s to the mid-70s, dental insurance came in to be part of it. And initially, dental insurance, uh, many dentists looked at as this godsend. You know, it was, and it was the same thing. You did procedures, you were paid the full amount of the procedure. Well, then they started to discount a little bit. Then it was 90%. Then it was 80%. And then it, it just has slowly been on the sliding scale. And they use these terminologies that are difficult to keep track of. Percentile, percentage, you know, usual and customary, um, and what those all mean. And, and if someone were to say usual and customary to you, you would think it's the average fee that everyone charges. And it's and not in the insurance industry. That's the lowest fee that anyone charges. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not usual that's and customary. That's not usual or customary, that's, yeah. Yeah, right. So I think uh, for probably the last two decades or more, uh, dentists have seen this and said, boy, this, this system is not favorable to us. And, uh, and I think as uh, older dentists are going to sell their practices, younger dentists don't recognize the same value in that practice because they're compensated at different rates. And, um, and, and many of the younger dentists just aren't going to pay what the older dentists want. And that's why the older dentist is selling to a DSO. I mean, they're, the DSOs, again, want to make dentistry a commodity um, and trade it as if it were anything else. But every dentist does a crown differently. Every, every dentist does an injection differently. They're going to have a different uh, chairside manner. Uh, and it's one of the things that I've been able to kind of go through and, and navigate and be successful with is, is being good with those things is, is I give a good injection. I can carry on a conversation with a patient chair side. I'm interested in what their concerns are. You know, I always give them the uh, opportunity to stop me if we're doing something, whether it's too much water, they feel some discomfort. They just are tired of being in that position. You, you know, raise your hand. I'm going to stop. I'm going to let you sit up. And once they recognize that they have some of that control, it makes the experience uh, much more enjoyable for them. Now, if you could go back and take the knowledge you have now and have a conversation with, you know, Ted Knight from 20 years ago, what are you, what are you telling yourself? I think it's the more years I've practiced, the verbiage that we use has, uh, is important. And words mean something. And if you are sarcastic, if you're flippant with patients to where it sounds like you're not really concerned about their uh, anxieties or their needs, then they don't really have a connection to you. So I would say it's that, it's that customer service. We all do crowns, we all do fillings, and it's a matter of how that patient feels recognized or the dignity that they have coming in is the same dignity they have when they're leaving. And if I could go back and have the confidence to stop participating with the insurance, you know, I, I, I think a lot of dentists operate out of fear, fear of the unknown, right? We don't know what's on the other side of this. So we all just 
go along like lemmings, just getting up each day, doing the same thing, hoping that something changes, but you have to actively make that change. And what I would say is trust in your abilities and how you care for patients, be available for them. I had a young man in or, or an older dentist in who was getting out of participating. And I said, you know, how many times have you been in on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, 4th of July, you know, any of the major holidays to see a patient? And I just did it like two weeks ago. You know, I was getting ready to take my son off to college and I had a patient who had a need and I said, you know, I can see you before I leave and we were able to work something out and get them done on, on a Saturday morning. But a lot of people would just say, I can't see you. I'll see you on Monday. But for me, that, that is just a, you know, it's just by my nature to say, I, I want to help you even, even if it inconveniences me uh, a little bit, but you know, everything ended up working out. And, and uh, that patient is now a patient who says, I know why I come to see you. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, um, it's, that's where the value is. You hit it on the head. We, we have a game we play. Uh, no, I'll, I'll play it. Do you think my company is good at marketing? Yes. Yes. Why? Communication. Communication no. insofar as, you know, I may not understand exactly what you guys do, but you help to show me through the metrics. And, you know, I, I, I had had, and, and how I ended up with you was I had another company that would show me all these metrics, but I said, but I still don't have people calling us on the phone. So you're telling mm -hmm. me all these things are occurring, but we're not seeing that translated. And um, with, when Ted Winters called me uh, on Tuesday and we had our meeting and we talked about uh, the, the, the volume increase that we've had, and one of my staff members is always in the meeting with me, and I looked over at her and she goes, oh, yeah, we've had a lot more calls coming in. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. said, that's what we want. Now the, now the responsibility is then putting on, uh, on us to translate those into having that individual who's calling in understand what the value is, is to come to this office as to go to someplace else. So the reason that's a funny question is if another marketer looked at our digital campaigns, and I mean, behind the scenes, it's like our version of a crown prep, they could poke holes in it. I might not actually be a better marketer, but the connection that you've made with us is an emotional one because you feel like we support you. You see us engage you. You see us care about your business. You see us want to grow it. And when you're talking about what you would tell your, you know, 20 year old self, that to me is the part that most dentists miss is we only have one, two, maybe four dentists in our life. We don't understand clinically if they're a good dentist or a bad dentist. We only get this emotion of how they made us feel. And I'm buying the emotion. I'm buying the comfort. I'm buying that this is the, the connection. And I, I think for me, as we've talked through the conversation, as you've exited insurance, the conversation you would have, it, I think it's a testament to how well you built that connection with your patients because I do think clinically you're a great dentist, but it's that connection that sells, that, that, that people buy. You know, I'm going into my third decade of practice. And patients who have been with me for a very long time only know one experience. And I mean, I'd say it's been good. Well, I, I inject 
We do a crown preparation. They leave with a temporary. They come in. They have the permanent one put on. It goes seamlessly, you know, and they sometimes have to leave, move. Uh, in our community, sometimes I'll have people leave for several years, three, four, five years, and then they come back, and they'll have an experience someplace else that they're just like, man, I'm so much, I'm so happy to be back here. <laughs> uh, or I'll have an older gentleman or or uh, woman, and as we start to uh, redo some of their their older work, they're just like, my mouth has never felt this good. I I never realized how those teeth never fit together. It can look good in a radiograph. It can look good in their mouth. But if they're telling you it's not right, then it's not right. And those are the kind of things you need to correct. And I've you know, been fortunate being able to either avoid those things or correct them so that that patient has a good experience. I know we're running up on time. Is there anything you want to dig in or cover? Um... I think the thing that, that I would like to express is if there are young dentists who are looking at this conversation that we're having. I did not have to go out and network with insurance. I was compensated at a rate that's higher than the, these younger dentists are getting. And I, I could have gone along in my career and, and done quite well. I just have such a passion for everybody having an equal playing field. And I decided to put myself on the playing field of the, the new graduating dentist as far as how they're compensated, I can never go back to what the insurance company gave me before. You know, I was told that, hey, if you leave, you can never come back. So it was a big leap and I didn't have to do it, but I did it because I want these younger dentists and I want even the dentists who are older and still participate to understand you can get out of having an insurance company control what you do and still be successful within your practice. And I think the experience for the patient is going to be better. It's definitely going to be better for the dentist. These are creative minds. Dentists are independent. You know, they, they tend to go against the grain. And that's one of the reasons why they went into the profession. So as, as a DSO or corporate dentistry tries to fit them into a cubicle and say, this is where you're going to work and how you're going to work, I think there's going to be a lot of rebellion for that. And I, I just want to be part of that. No, that's very well said. I I couldn't agree more. I, I think that we had a guy on the podcast the other day, and he runs a, a fairly large DSO. And when you listen to the model, it sounds good. I mean, they make practices more productive, but it, it costs something. And that, that something is freedom. You don't get to decide what what treatments you do. You don't get to decide what hours you work. You don't get to decide if you come in or don't come in on Sunday. And 30% of the population has perio, so your perio needs to be 30%. And, you know, you start being told how to operate. And, and everyone says, yeah, I'm not telling you clinically how to practice. But if, I tell, if, I, if I'm telling you when to work and how to work and what you need to, metrics you need to hit, I am influencing your, your clinical care. And, and it's, it's a dangerous, slippery slope. Yes. There's, the liability is still all on that dentist, you know, I mean, they're responsible for all that. But if you have this person out of, you know, view of where we are, who's telling you you're not working fast enough, or you're not doing this, and all of a sudden you start having to cut corners, because your skill level just isn't there yet. I mean, I didn't start off being able to do 
the amount of dentistry that I do in a day right now from the day one. I mean, I bought my practice at 26 years old. I was eight months out of school. I didn't know what HR was. I didn't know how to manage people. I didn't know 401ks. I mean, you become a businessman, a CEO, and the dentistry is secondary, but I hadn't got the dentistry down. And it took me time to build up to that. And I could do it at my own pace because I because I now own the practice. But it, it definitely took me much longer to do certain procedures and you built up to that. You don't have this external factor the way you do with the DSO who's telling you, you have to go faster, you have to go faster, you have to go right. faster. If you just don't have that skill down yet, you don't have the skill down yet. It takes time, right? I mean, how do you become an expert at anything? You've you've got to do it ten thousand times. Yeah, useful practice. Yeah, and um, and the creativity of how to do it more efficiently, but ultimately, that patient needs to leave without something that's going to cause them pain, because if you are doing it faster but that patient's leaving with pain, they're not going to be real keen on coming back to see you. Right. And, yeah, uh, and, and that's, uh, I think that's bad for the population. I agree. I agree. I think you're right. We're on the, we're at the beginning of some version of revolt against dental insurance, which is, I don't, it's shocking to me that they even get to call it insurance. But again, I, you know, I didn't make the rules, but it's, Agreed. it's, it's such a goofy, it's such a goofy policy that people think it's like medical insurance. It, it's it's almost a payment plan, basically, but you don't get to keep the money. Uh, no, yeah, and it's but well, yeah, it's it's one of the things we talk about quite a bit. Is I go if if you get a thousand dollars a year and you don't go to the dentist for ten years, you don't build up ten thousand dollars to use somewhere down the road. I mean, every year if you don't use it, they keep it, and I'm trying to figure out. Why are you paying for this? I would rather have you keep your own money, budget it appropriately for you, and uh, and do the treatment. You know, when when you have a third party, I mean, uh, the patient and the dentist can sit down and have an agreement of how they want to move forward, and then all of a sudden you have to submit something to the insurance company, and you've got this third party who's never met either one of the individuals saying, no, 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 you can't do that. It, it just seems to be more of a hindrance than a benefit. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, Dr. Knight, I, I'm cognizant I'm coming up on time for you, but um, thank you so much for being on the show, and I'd love to have you back, and, and obviously uh, uh, think the world of you and can't say enough amazing things about the practice you've built and you know how you've dealt with your employees and how you've treated the team and how you treated my team is is all heartwarming, and thank you so much for allowing us to share this chapter of your life with you. Well, Eric, you know, again, when when I came to working with you and with Andre and uh and Ted and just the whole team, it was it was people who cared about making us successful. And yes, there's a monetary component to all of this, but it's it's a matter of knowing that the person on the other side feels a connection to you and is is genuinely concerned about um, about you know what's going on in your life. Well, thank you. I mean, we thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for for that. Those kinds of words.